There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Happy 2019. Happy Monday. Happy start of your week. Start of a new chance to be able to achieve your goals. That's what we're all about here. Welcome to another episode of I Could Never Be here on the Popcorn Talk. We're so thankful that you guys are joining us. If you're here, you're taking that first step, maybe the second step, maybe the third step, but you're taking a step to be able to achieve your goals. The show I Could Never Be, we talk with people who have achieved success in a variety of industries, people who you look at and say, oh, I could never be this person. Oh, I could never be this person. They had money. They had power. They knew people. They're not going through the same struggles that I'm going through. And you know what? That's just that little voice in the back of your head trying to deceive you because it's not true. The number of stories that we've had on here of guests who have been living in cars, who are living on couches. I talked with a guy who was stealing individual turkey slices from a roommate because he was so hungry, and now he's producing multi-million dollar videos all over the world. It's incredible when you hear these stories. You definitely learn exactly what it takes and what their work ethic was and what their dreams and desires were. I always begin the show with some advice for a better life. Today's advice for a better life is that anyone trying to pull you down is already beneath you. Often in life, you're going to have people who are trying to, to bring you down or to stop you from reaching a goal. And you can really focus on that and be like, oh, this person, this person. Or you can think of it as, hey, they're already beneath me. If they're spending time and energy trying to stop me, that means they're not spending time and energy trying to achieve success. And if you focus your energy and put your mind on achieving success and not on them, then you'll achieve your goals because while they're focusing on you, you have a chance to get ahead. 33 years old. That's how old today's guest was when he got his first acting role. Far prior to that, he actually was a high school dropout, but with the right attitude and work ethic, you can change your future, and man, he had one heck of a future. He really starred as Toby Ziegler in The West Wing, currently stars opposite Dwayne The Rock Johnson in Ballers, also on ABC's The Good Doctor, which comes back January 14th. Please welcome Richard Schiff. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. You, you hear the uh, opening for West Wing, 20 years? I mean, is that, what do you think when you hear that song? Does it feel like 20 years? Uh, well, as time goes on, time gets shorter, and uh, it goes faster, and so, no, it seems like a blink. Um, I see Allison, and I see Brad, and I see Martin, and Dulé, and Mary McCormick, and it's and Tommy, and Aaron, and it seems like we're still working together. So, no, it doesn't seem like 20 How years. many of them have you worked with since? I mean, the various projects, you're seeing them in various... Not a lot. Mary McCormick had me on a couple of her shows... We've worked together on four or five movies before that, so we were friends. Uh, Dulé is on Ballers, mm-hmm. um, but we never worked together in the same scene. <laughs> uh, Martin uh, uh, dragged me into a film he was doing a few years back. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> um, uh, but we do a lot of, we do a lot of um, social activism, political stuff nice. together and PSAs, so we see each other quite often. And I think I read that you guys even, yeah, you get together quite often with everyone in the, I mean, it, that seems like a cla- uh, 
cast that was very close knit at the time, and it just stayed that way. Well, you know, it was the best of times, the worst of times. I mean, everything <laughs> happened in seven years when people are working together under intense pressure and trying to reach a ceiling of potential brilliance that Aaron set forth for us every mm-hmm. every episode. Uh, you know, everything happens, uh, but there was a lot of love there and uh, a lot of respect for each other. And yeah, so we're we're still very close. There's been talk of a reboot of bringing it back. Is that something that you've been a part of those talks or heard those talks? I have a great idea. Um, I mentioned I, I pitched it to Aaron. He loved it. Um, uh, I don't think it should be in the White House. I think that's overcooked. Uh, you know, my image of a show in the White House now is something like House of Cards, which is mm-hmm. more apropos for the current administration. <laughs> um, and Veep, you know, you yeah. combine Veep yep. and House of Cards, you got <laughs> you got this administration. Um, uh, I th- it's a great idea. Aaron, I'm sure, will either take some of that, none of it, or all of it, and uh, if it ever happens. But he's really busy. I just saw um, Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway, mm. which is brilliant. And, in fact, I think Aaron has reached a new kind of depth in his writing, which is really beautiful in that play. And um, uh, uh, so, who knows? He's, he's you know, booked. <laughs> Would you be interested if, if there was a part in the reboot? I mean, you talk um, about if you it's pitching not, that. If it's not in the White House, it, it doesn't make sense for uh, anyone. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. To, um, and the only one who wants to go back is Joe Biden. <laughs> you know, um, and, well, he, and he's like 50-50, comes out again, says something today. Uh, he, and won't, like, he just won't jump like, in. Are you yes or no here? What do we got? I campaigned with him in 07 because mm-hmm. he asked me to and I like him. And I wanted to, uh, to help him keep in the race as long as possible because I thought he was great for the debate, which I, he was. Mm-hmm. Clearly because you know yep. Obama picked him for VP. Yeah. Um, and I love the man. I think he's uh, a, a very... Um, a man of integrity and great love and um, and experience unmatched in, in all aspects of governing, um, especially in foreign relations, being chair of the Foreign Relations mm-hmm. Committee for so long and all the work he did as VP. Uh, but um, uh, I don't know uh, if he is, um, uh, you know, in the last time around, his son had just uh, mm-hmm. died of yep. brain cancer and... Um, uh, that was a tough time for him. So I, I don't know if he if he joins the the race and asks me, I won't think I'd be able to say no. I don't think he needs me this time around. <laughs> Last time nobody knew who he was, and he kind of needed mm-hmm. anyone. So yeah. Do you hear me. from the fans or fans? Say, I mean, we have a fan in the we have Pat in the chat. What are your thoughts on a Western people? If you're joining us uh, live, we're here live on YouTube every single Monday. Comment in the chat, ask a question. We're going to try to work those in. But someone's asking here. Do you hear that frequently of people asking? Hey, is there going to be a reboot? Hey, how, all how, the likely, time. how likely is a reboot? No, all the time. Every interview, in fact. <laughs> but you led with it. It's usually the last question. Um, I give the people what they want. Uh, yeah. Uh, get it out of the way. Up, up <laughs> yeah, front. exactly. That's another thing. Um, yeah, we hear it all the time because, well, first of all, Josh Molina on Twitter keeps uh, giving hints that it's going to happen just to mess with people. So then it, gets a, it gives a, a Twitter frenzy going. Um, but there's, uh, I know Aaron has said he wanted it to happen. 
Um, uh, he might go with a new administration, in which case, mm -hmm. you know, some of us might show up as consultants mm -hmm. or uh, whatever, you know, in that administration. It makes no sense. For, uh, maybe one or two of us would be yeah, in the White House, you know, but... Um, you would have advanced from those roles, especially in 20 years, and yeah, so or, what or are you be, coming or, back to? Or be dead. Or be dead. Well, there's the other option. Um, uh, yeah, so, uh, 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 so we'll see, but um, there were some instances where people go back. I know John, um, uh, John Podesta has been in different administrations, mm -hmm. and that, that happens. Mm -hmm. Uh, even in this administration, uh, there have been people in the Bush admi uh, mm -hmm. early on when he had mm -hmm. when he had smart uh, tried to get some smart mm -hmm. people in there, and they left out of frustration. I like your idea of it being outside the White House because I feel like that is very true in this. But we're seeing more well, and more. Where, where does politics really happen? And, exactly. and that's the question. And especially in this era, where uh, there's such an excitement in the grassroots level and on the local level, and and it really all happens in the state level. Mm -hmm. You know, the state legislators mm -hmm. determine uh, voting uh, uh, rights and, and, and gerrymandering and mm -hmm. all that stuff. And that's a lot of the reason why we're stuck where we mm -hmm. are today. Absolutely. Um, and why uh, the Electoral College turned out the mm -hmm. way it did or part of it. You're uh, now in a new role, several new roles. I mean, that really vaulted your career. Now on The, the Good Doctor, which again comes back January 14th for there was a, okay. a little bit of a Christmas hiatus January yeah. 14th. Uh, it left us off uh, certainly with, uh, I don't know, conundrum of this new virus. And I think your, your character was just announced that your cancer had returned. I mean, you're left, left off the, with a big, big, lots of cliffhangers. <laughs> Yeah. Do you enjoy that? I mean, enjoy that show. You're in season two. Does it really feel like you're starting to get going on that? I mean, find your groove, or have you already found it? Do you think? Um, I don't know. Um, it, it's been it's an interesting uh, uh, journey for my character this year, um, being sick and having to deal. Uh, notoriously, doctors are the worst patients, and we're we're kind of mm -hmm. exploring that a little bit, and the and the reversal of the relationship between uh, Sean. And Sean Murphy and mm -hmm. Freddie Highmore's character and myself. Uh, previously, I was the mentor and the gu guardian, and now I'm the child in many ways. And he, mm -hmm. ha he has to turn to ter the ter caretaking um, role. So that's been it's been interesting, uh, especially <laughs> the episode where I went psychotic and saw my <laughs> dead daughter, um, mm -hmm. which was a very challenging episode, and uh, we went pretty deep with that. Do you ever see your role? I mean, you're looking at like you and Sean's character. I mean, do you ever see it as your role now of imparting wisdom on young actors or being able to help them at all when you're on set? Well, I think it's uh, a necessity uh, on, on one level. And um, yeah, I uh, actually taught a master class last year just for, as an experiment to see if mm -hmm. I'd like it. And people keep asking me to do it. And I loved it. I, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed it. And um on set <clears throat> um, recently with a young actress uh, uh, was, uh, you know, young actors are so anxious to please, which is a place I never, I was never at. Mm -hmm. I never, I never went there, yeah. but I understand it. And um, they get stuck because they don't quite know how um, to fulfill what the director or writer is asking them to do. And so, yeah, I found myself... Um, uh, uh, 
giving him a, a little chat on the side or making a suggestion or did you have um, someone like that when no. when you were no <laughs> no is that part of it is you wish there was someone like that i think i always you know this show is about a, a guy of someone who's who who changed his life in order to help affect um a positive change um for someone else you know hmm. and uh, the mentor mentee relationship is something i never really experienced or if I had the opportunity to experience it, I didn't quite know it was there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I did have mentors young. Uh, uh, in when at college, when I tripped and f- fell over the drama program at City College mm-hmm. of New York, mm-hmm. um, and went got into the professional acting training program by fluke. And Earl Gister, who was uh, had just come from Carnegie Mellon and was on his way to the Yale School of Drama stop for a little pit stop at City College of New York for three years to run the Davis Center for Performing Arts. I was very lucky that he was there, and um, he was a mentor of sorts. Um, Somebody else who said the most important thing to me ever was a fellow by the name of Robert Macbeth, who was a six-foot-five-inch African-American man with a beard down to here, who was quite a character, had played basketball for Kansas, uh, mm. Just after the Will Chamberlain era, wow! And um, we used to talk for hours. Um, uh, he, uh, when I smoked, he would bum cigarettes for me, and we'd just <laughs> sit and talk. In those days, you could smoke in the classrooms. Yeah. And um, and he said, you know, uh, you're not because I didn't think that a, a profession was even within the realm of po- possibility. I was really just following a curiosity and a little bit lost. A profession in acting. Yeah. Yeah. Never crossed my mind that I would ever get wow. work. Um uh and at one point we were talking about that, like what am I gonna do after college and, and uh and he said, you know, this isn't Juilliard, you know, we don't walk around in tights, you don't have the great uh voice teachers and, and although we did have some good ones. Um you don't have agents banging on your door. Um uh you don't have the fancy theater. We would I directed a play in a classroom, you know, we we, we made the best mm-hmm. of a of a public university that had no money, and um, he said, "But here's here's why you can make it. Um, if you take the kid uh, who plays basketball in the playground in New York City, um, why is it that the kid from Kentucky, who's groomed from the time he's five years old because he's the tallest kid in the class?" Uh, doesn't quite make it, although today is a different story, but back then doesn't quite make it. Uh, but the kid in the playground in the Bronx uh, uh, does because the kid in the playground brings every bit of himself to the court mm-hmm. every time he plays. In New York City basketball, one of the things about playground basketball oh, is yeah. if you lose, you don't play. Yeah, You have to win to stay you on the court. You have to win to stay. Um, and it's a city game and it's competitive. Mm-hmm. Um uh, and that was a great point. Bring every bit of yourself to everything you do. I don't have the skill set that they had from training in, in Juilliard. I didn't, you know, have John Houseman, the great John Houseman, you know, uh, directing Shakespeare. Uh, so I, I didn't do any of that. You know, we we were um, kind of a, a street gang um, uh, doing theater. Uh, that was Great advice. Um, so I had a couple of young. I had a couple of people when I was young uh, give me some great talks. Earl Gister was another one. 
Now, you, you said you didn't think that it was a, a viable career path. Was that looking at yourself or looking at the industry and thinking that? I, had no, I didn't know the industry except that I knew no one in it. <clears throat> um, was it a doubting of your belief of your not beliefs, doubting of your abilities? To, yeah. Or, sure. Okay. Well, that's part of it, um, but it's also you know I, certain people grow up in an atmosphere. You you see this with athletes that have great attitudes and use use their skills to the to the utmost. People like Jared, Derek Jeter, you know the Shaquan Barkley of the mm-hmm. Giants. Mm-hmm. You know they're they're they're. They're solid people. They don't have neuroses with them that interfere with them. They're, they're not followed by demons. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a pack, a wagon train full of demons following me. I had a very difficult childhood, and um, it was it was it was uh, the idea that people would pay attention to me was 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 far fetched to me. Um, that they would find you <clears throat> interesting. That they would want to yeah. work with you. Yeah. Um, and that started to change as I did some work in college and, and, uh, uh, and so on. So it, it, it's, it's still something that is the first default position that I have that, you know, why would yeah. Michael Krause want to, Krause? How <laughs> Klaus. Klaus want to talk to me. I was like, uh, who is he? Why does he want to talk to me? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I still have that. That's that's never going to go away. And then you find ways to overcome that. It, what ways? I mean, because that you, you're not alone in that. I mean, no. I think that's so many, and it's a crazy. And I say this to a lot of people in a city of LA, especially. There's 10 million people in LA County. 10 million people really? who, are, who are yeah. They're all I, on the road as we speak. They're all on the 405 headed north right now. Now, um, by the way, where do they go? Everyone's on the road. And, Everyone, and when you get there, there's no one there. Nope. I have this conversation too. It's like uh, what people the, the worst freeway. The worst freeway is the one you're on. Every time. Every freeway is the every worst freeway. freeway. Yeah. You're not like all oh, the 405 is really bad. When you're on the one on one, the two. The two is the best freeway ever mm, because by Glendale. it doesn't go anywhere, so no it's one <laughs> is ever on it. But I get on there just to go fast. Just that's the time. Yeah. Yeah, the holidays were nice in L.A. because it was like there was yeah. nobody. New oh, Year's man. Day was fantastic. Oh, yeah, beautiful. What would because I will go back because you were saying that, that that attitude and you're definitely not alone. Like I was saying, there's like 10 million people in L.A. County, and I think I read the other day or someone shared this with me. There's like there's like 600 thousand people trying to be actors in L.A. No, and there's like 3,000 to 5,000 who are actually doing it every day. That's that's high odds. I mean, th- yeah. So you're not like why is it? Do you think that? That people have that attitude of like, why me, why me, and doubting themselves and thinking that they're alone in doing that. Well, the, the bigger curiosity to me, I think that's more common, is the people that think it should be me. Hmm. That they, they fascinate me. The, uh, there's a bit of narcissism there, oh, yeah. and there's a bit of delusion, and we're witnessing it every day on the news. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, uh, it's funny because uh, those uh, that prototype, if it is a prototype or archetype, is someone that does get what they want quite often because they act like they deserve it. So there's a lesson there somewhere um, in in that if you feel like you do deserve it um, without the uh, without the uh, uh, perversity of narcissism uh, gone haywire. Uh, there's value in that. There's value to say. Now, for me, um, uh, I started to notice that when I did work, people responded. 
And the very first play that I did after those years when I didn't act, but I was directing plays mm -hmm. and I did have a theater company mm -hmm. and I was fascinated with this phenomenon of storytelling. <clears throat> and um, I went back and took an acting class, a uh, two-year program with Bill Esper, who is considered the master teacher in America now. Um, and uh, But I, I went to his... I went to him because I was directing and feeling like I was losing touch with the process with actors. And a lot of the actors that I loved to work with had him on, his, on the resume. And he got to know me because he would come to these plays because his students or his former students were in them. So I called him once and I said, Can I, I don't get why your actors are so good and they're directable. Because actors from other training seem to be lost in their yeah, own process. Yeah, hard to control them. Just lost in their own stuff. And... Um, he said, well, come in and talk to me. So I went in, had a 45-minute conversation with him, which was very kind of him. And he goes, you're an interesting fellow. You should take my class. And I go, well, I don't want to be an actor. He goes, you should take my class anyway. Try the summer program, and if you like it, you can do the two years. So I said, all right. And I did the summer program, and I found it horrifying and, and <laughs> just painful because he, he made you work. You know, in college, you would volunteer to work. So if I didn't want to work, I didn't. But in this acting class, Richard, get up there. You know, um, okay. And um, so I was forced to cut, to cut through the fear and the anxiety and the neuroses. Um, and he kept saying in, in, in increments, you know, Richard, you can do this. And, you know, I don't want to do this, but you can do this. And then my acting partners in scenes would take me to agents to audition. They wanted to audition to get an agent. And the agents would come to me and go, we want to sign you. And I go, I don't want to be an actor. He goes, well, when you do, let, let us know. Of course, later on when I did, I forgot who they were. And <laughs> no one wanted to sign me for years because, you know, because uh, I wanted them. Mm -hmm. They wanted me because mm -hmm. I didn't want them. Yep. There's that phenomenon. I always want what you can't have, yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, and he convinced me. And uh, at, some, at the end of this two years, I finally committed to every aspect of the acting thing. And that was interesting because I was resisting for two years. I was going, I'm just doing the exercises. And as he challenged me in that last bit. Um, I was doing the Bernard Shaw play, and I, my partner had done much Shaw, and I was in love with her anyway. And and, <laughs> and uh, Robin Lord, where are you? And um, Although I'm happily married. Um, and uh, <clears throat> um, I wonder where she is now. Um, but she taught me everything you needed to do. And it was a full commitment. And I went, oh, this is interesting. And then my class, because I had a theater company, asked me to uh, if we could produce a play that we could all do. And I had 800 unsolicited plays in my apartment because I had a theater company. Mm -hmm. And we went through them, and we did found a play that we put on. And it was a big hit, and I was the lead of one of the plays. And we went off Broadway, and that's how it happened. So the other lesson is create your own work. Do your own work. Mm -hmm. That's, that's especially pertinent <clears throat> now. It's so easy now. I mean, not, theater's always hard, but mm -hmm. but do that. Um, but to make a movie is easy. And, you know, my nephew's come to town and he's trying to be an actor and who was in my class. And I just tell him, do your own work. And he's making a web series and he's making films. He's joined mm -hmm. all these theater companies and he's working. He's not being sought after yet, but he's working. How much do you credit your acting to the first eight, ten years when you were directing and creating, before you even thought about acting. Yeah. 
how much do you look back and say, man, what I learned here, yeah. what I was able to grow my skills here? Well, it's a good question because – and an interesting question because um, I tend to look uh, – to work backwards. And um, I've uh, you know, got a reputation of being an actor that um, directors and writers should listen to because I see a result mm-hmm. first. That can change, but I see the end – first and then i have to find a way to fill it and as i fill it my vision of the ending will change but uh most actors don't see the end first they just take the steps and hope that they get there mm-hmm. hope that they find tracks that they can ride um i envy them john spencer the great john spencer mm-hmm. alice and Janney, they could act anything there are some yeah you give them a bowl of cereal they could act a bowl <laughs> of cereal they can act anything I have to answer 600 questions, a lot fewer now, <laughs> um, but, but back then I'd ha- every question had to be answered because I was thinking in my head and then finding a way to get it into my body and then combining the two and then flying. So I had to build the platform. They could go shoot out of the gate like a, like a racehorse um, and, and, and be amazing. And, and they could be really bad, which I envied. They could get the wrong, take the wrong track, but fully commit to mm-hmm. it. If I'm on the wrong track, my body yeah. goes, where are you Everybody going? Everybody knows. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. I know, and and it's hard for me to continue that commitment, but so I envy uh, those types of actors. What age, I mean, you were 33 when you got your first role, which, I mean, is in- incredible because the number of friends that I have at, at age 30 is Massive of people who have not achieved success and say, well, I'm too late. I'm too late. Was that ever a thought of no. man, starting at 33? Well, again, I, career wasn't an issue because I didn't think it was in the cards. I thought I'd be driving a cab uh, you know, forever and, um, or whatever other survival job I could get. Um, We're going to come back to those survival jobs. I love hearing people's survival jobs. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, for me, it was a curiosity. Um, uh it was a, it was a scientific curiosity. Why? What are the aspects that uh, that pull me into a trance when I'm watching a story? And how do you create the the elements that make a story that it, it, you can't turn away from? That's what fascinates me, and that's what I was pursuing. And once it was presented to me as a challenge to start acting again. Um, uh, then I, I took up that cha- challenge from that perspective. What age were you when you started becoming I don't know, competitive? Is probably not the right word, but at like, oh, I really want this role. Now I really want to do this. Um, uh, never. I've never had that, and it's hmm. probably short circuited. Um, uh, uh, that's not a good way to put it. It's probably, you know, had I had I if I had that, I, I might be on a different path right now. Who knows? Um, uh, I've never had that. Um, when the opportunity's there, then I, I might really want it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, um, there's this Pacino movie and blah, 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 and I have to audition. Yeah, you have to audition. Mm-hmm. You know, then I, then I really want it. But I don't feel competitive with anyone else. So I, I look at it like this. When I ch- changed, my career started to change in L.A. A lot had to do with my wife, Sheila Kelly, 
who was very successful mm -hmm. back then, very much the it girl in the late 80s and 90s, and um, she taught me a thing or two. But also something um, uh, changed in the way I approached auditions because they made me crazy. I got angry at them because you'd walk into a room, people would want to do what they want you to do. There'd be, four, in those days, 14 suits if it was a sitcom, you know, and they'd all laugh whether I was funny or not because they were <laughs> laughing to please the producer-writer who had created it. Mm. And I noticed that phenomenon, so what they weren't reacting to what I did. Um, and it would make me angry, you know, and, and this kind of sense that, okay, show me something, made me angry. And I was like, all right, how do I take control of this? With the help of a, of a, a teacher friend named Timothy Phillips, who people should look up in New York and L.A. and Atlanta, I think, and New Orleans, he teaches workshops. Um, I discovered that uh, I'm really auditioning them, that I, this is my interpretation of this material. If you don't react to it, fantastic. Let's, just, let's find that out now because mm -hmm. we don't want to find that out on the set because then we have a problem. If you react to it in a way that makes sense, let's talk about working together. So this is what I'm going to do or at least this is where I'm starting. Um, and all of a sudden, I had power. And yeah. I don't mean power over them, but I had power Good from internal my... Internal self-power. Self-control. You have control. We're in a situation where a lot of people go in and say, I have no control. I have no control. Yeah. That gives you that. And they're trying to please. Mm -hmm. And they're trying, what do, you, what do they want? What do they want? What they want is irrelevant. What do you want to bring? And, and how much... Uh, um, uh, yeah, what do you want to bring? Bring that, and they will react. You might not get the role. This is a Timothy Phillips thing. You might not get the role. He wrote a book called uh, Audition for Your Career, Not for the Job. Um, because what would start to happen is I didn't get that job, but they called me back for, for something else because they remembered that audition. They remembered me, mm -hmm. right? So that's when things really started to change, and I started to get... You know, not everything, but it felt like everything. Okay, we're going to talk about the survivor jobs because okay. I love. So you 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 were driving a cab. Was that a one of the jobs, or like what was your jobs to be able to pursue your dreams? Again, I I was pursuing curiosity. I was not pursuing yeah. dreams. Pursuing curiosity. Maybe, maybe the dreams were 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 in there somewhere, um, and they started to filter in more and more as I had uh, successfully started this path. But um, I was driving a cab in New York and uh, later found work uh, in the Reagan era in the 80s. The only trickle-down that ever actually happened was in the law firms because of all that deregulation. Uh, there were takeovers and mergers happening 24-7, so the law firms needed support staff 24-7, mm -hmm. so they needed word processors and proofreaders, and I was a proofreader. Oh. And I would work the graveyard shift from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., uh, because there were no lawyers around then, and we just kind of kicked out and just chilled. <laughs> chilled. And if we got a, a lot of work, we'd just call in more temps um, to do the work. Uh, uh, and uh, I also, in college, um, uh, cleaned buses, cleaned Greyhound buses, graveyard, 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. Uh, I was a teamster for a while. Um, and I, <laughs> you use diesel fuel. 
to cut the grease on the tires of a mm-hmm. Greyhound bus. And so I would go home on the subway rush hour at 7 o'clock in the morning Ooh. reeking I bet everybody loved fuel. you. I mean, people would separate, which was great <laughs> because, you know, there was no room on the, on the, on the subway car. Um, but if anyone lit a cigarette at that point, you know, the car goes up. I mean, I was <laughs> drenched in, in diesel fuel. Um, that was a job. I lived in Colorado for a while. Um, worked in a factory there, non-union factory. Uh, I laid cable in, in New York from the early days of cable TV, so I was a member of the International Brotherhood of now, Electrical Workers. Now, a lot of people work these jobs. I mean, they work the, the – nowadays, you do the Uber and the Lyft and whatever it is. And, and, yeah, they use, and, they, and they, their motivation for doing that is because I want to follow the dream or the – you know, whatever the, the passion, whatever they want to call it. It almost seems like you would have trouble with that if you weren't majorly following that, that goal or that dream because it was just a, a acting was a thought for you. Was that ever like, was it hard to keep working in, in these industries that are not, I don't know, not long term or maybe you saw them as long term? Well, no, you have to eat. Yeah. And that's it. Hmm. You have to eat. You had to pay your rent. I had very low rent in those days in New York, $230 a month for a studio apartment about this size. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, a phone bill, a Con Ed bill, and a slice of pizza every now and then. And that was my nut. So I could actually work for six or seven days, cover my month, uh, which was great. So I could yeah. pursue other things that way. I could work three or four weeks and go to Europe. You know, because my my overhead was so low. Um, so you live cheap. And New York in those days, uh, you could have a good time in New York if you were either poor or very rich. The middle class always struggled. <laughs> now you can only be very rich. Now you can only be very rich. Yeah. Who did you look up to uh, in acting when you were starting out? Was there anyone who you saw and said, man, this seems like someone either that I want to become or is extremely talented and I could learn some things from? Um, I had a number of uh, people that um, I admired. Uh, I think my all-time is Spencer Tracy. Uh, I couldn't go talk to him because he was no longer around. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, used to, I was an insomniac. I, I wasn't actually a dropout in high school, but I, I switched to a night, okay. night school to graduate early. Okay. Um, IMDb's had it wrong for about 30 years now. I'll call him up. Um, but... Uh, uh, I used to be an insomniac, and I, and I didn't get to school before 11, 12 o'clock. So that's one of the reasons I left school to go to night school, because it was a, a, a less requirements to get your degree. But, um, uh, so, but I would watch movies, and uh, I would just wait for good movies to come on, or I'd be reading or whatever. And the old movies, Bogart and Spencer Tracy and, and um, Jack, uh, John Garfield and Lee J. Cobb, and mm-hmm. I'd find... Danny Kay, the court jester, my favorite comedy of all time, and that's where I got my my initial. And and if the, a movie took me out of myself, being very unhappy and and very kind of stressed with unhappiness in those days, that's what my fascination with the trance uh, initi- uh, germinated from. Do you try to do that when you uh, get roles? <laughs> of think of that of the the viewer. And say, man, yeah. I want to do that to them. I want to be able to provide that experience. I would love to, but I, um, I, I know, I know what clicks people out of a story. 
because I know it clicks me out of a story. So I, I definitely try to avoid that. I'll suggest to, to writers, especially on TV shows, when, you know, this pops out at me. It's going to make people pop out of the story. This doesn't mm. jive. This is not, not not truthful, you know, because people look searching for truth, you know, and, and the truth keeps you in the trance, I think. Um, and as soon as there's a lie, as soon as you see something that doesn't make sense, you know, you, you've been with people watching, oh, God, he would never do that. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh, where did that come from? You know, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, so I try to, you know, uh, but I don't worry too much about how people perceive it because if I'm now, if I'm doing my work and and we're all doing the work in a, in a certain way, people will be pulled in by it. But what was the uh, the other actors? So later on, in the 70s, because that's when I really got interested in this stuff, the movies were f- phenomenal, and they were all socially relevant and politically relevant and dark and going into places where I lived, which was dark. Um, <laughs> so, you know, when you had guys like De Niro and Pacino and um, even Jessica Lange, uh, mm-hmm. you know, with Francis, that movie, and... Um, Robert Altman, um, Sidney Lumet with the directors, Scorsese early on, and uh, those, those were the those were the uh, types of actors. Brando was always brilliant. Um, so I had a story. I know first time I worked with uh, Al Pacino, I got uh, um, I got. There's a lot of stories with Pacino, uh, but um, the first time. Uh, we had met before, and we almost worked together before. But the first time I got to work with him was this obscure independent movie that he was brilliant in. And I uh, started working with him, and I got a note from the director. Now, the director I already knew was not very smart. Um, and and so this note made no sense coming from him. And the note was, you're taking his rhythms. And I was mortified because I realized that came from Al. He was telling the director to, to tell, tell him that. you, and of course I was because I was mem- mesmerized. <laughs> and I, I was, I was like, um, uh, you know, at one moment I'd see Don, uh, Michael Corleone, and the next minute I'd see Serpico, and the next minute I, <laughs> you know, a little twitch, and I'd see all these roles, and I was, you know, probably just getting caught in mm-hmm, a trance, mm-hmm. and uh, I went, "Damn it, that's a really good note," <laughs> and I'm, I'm just utterly embarrassed. Um, and then I told him that years later um, when we worked together another time. And he said, let me tell you a story. He goes, first time uh, on The Godfather, my first scene with uh, Marlon uh, was in the backyard um, uh, going over notes when he was older. Um, and uh, we started ta- the scene. And Marlon didn't say anything after I spoke. And Francis said, cut. And we started again, and Marlon didn't say anything again. And Francis said, cut. And finally Francis went, Marlon, what's wrong? And Marlon just said, he's not talking to me. Wow. And Al, Al was mortified. Wow. But it's what happens when you get... Yeah, your st- first time, you're starstruck. With your, with your, your heroes, um, you get like, am I really here? And mm-hmm. you lose yourself a little bit, and you lose your work a little bit at first. What drives you now in your acting, in the creations of what you're doing, and directing and producing? What drives you? Um, 
That's a good question. I um, I, I it just sounds corny, but I I I love telling stories. Um, and and I and I want to dig to the marrow of where the truth of it is. And if it means challenging myself uh, in a way that I haven't been challenged before, that's great. Um, uh, and that's and that's really it. And I have to examine really where I am with that because I don't think that's enough right now. I think I have the experience. Um, I'm at a place in my career where I should really be searching for something much more important than oh, I get to tell another story. Um, something important outside acting. Or inside well, acting, possibly, and I think it has to do with writing. And mm-hmm. I think um, uh, I, I can write, and I do write, but I don't um, make it a discipline. Um, and I think that's the next phase. Whether it's a book uh, um, uh, about um, what I do or not, or fiction, or um, I you have written columns for the Independent in London and Huffington mm-hmm. Post, and so on about social. Stuff in politics. Yeah, I know you're very involved in that. That's like you said. It, the the best thing about today is there's so many outlets to be able to put out on create creatively. Just yeah. like you were telling, I think it was your uh, uh, some family member. You were saying who was starting out and he's making web. He's doing web videos. Yeah, and, yeah. Like any, and you can do that. You yeah. can be able to express yourself creatively, and especially with someone in your position to be able to have those connections to be able to write for the independent and write for other things. And yeah. And uh, and maybe write a story that that I want I want to go on to um, zeros and ones, um, not film anymore. But um, yeah, I uh, I had a thought and I lost it. One of the questions that I always end with is: In twenty years, we're finished. Thirty already? years, I know the time has just flown by. Okay, the is in twenty or thirty years when people look back on your life. In your career, in your life. What 20, 30 are, years after I'm dead? After, Well, from now or, I mean, yeah, 20, 30 years from now or <laughs> 50 years, whatever you want to call it. People look back, two or three things that you want them to remember about your life and your career. He um, was I want blank. my children to remember that, um, that uh, not the sacrifices I made because that's silly, but um, that we worked hard together to uh, to help form uh, two incredible human beings, um, family uh, shockingly has be- become much more important to me. That's part of the reason why the track on what are, what are my dreams, what do I really want to do, um, isn't as uh, palpable for me because so much has been sacrificed uh, for my family. Um, I envy Allison, who's single, you know, and. Um, other actors that don't have families on some level, I think they're missing out. It's but not they, a, it's not a sacrifice. It's a choice. Yeah. And they Because you no, do exactly. it again, yeah. No, exactly. The the richness of my life because mm-hmm. of my exactly. children is unmatchable in any mm-hmm. other facet that you uh, that you do in your life. Um, but uh, I those actors get to do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So I've turned down theater in London, you know, that I love to do um, certain TV projects that would take me away for too long, um, all of that stuff. And I'm happy I did that. Um, uh, uh, but uh, in other regards, you know, the West Wing's going to probably be around forever, so people will be remembering that on, in every election. Fantastic show. In every election cycle, this seems to be a new generation. Um, but I think, you know, it would be nice if um, they recognized the fact that I that I 
tried to bring uh, an integrity to the work and a truth to the work mm -hmm. and an emotional truth to the work. Um, you know, if they remember, that would be that would be great. If they don't, I won't be here to to be upset to critique them. But no, I, you're saying that, and I I see that in your work, and so I want to commend you on that, and I want to commend you for your for your journey and for your openness, openness on the show, but journey and to be able to, like you're saying, I mean, you, you chose family over career, and, and that's not a bad, that's not a sacrifice, that's a choice and something you would do again, no, and, your, and your life is very rich because of it. But my kids better not ever forget. But if they ever forget, you will be the one to remind them. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you. My pleasure. Very much. I really pleasure. appreciate it. I enjoyed that. it. Thank you. I'm so glad that you enjoyed it. Thank you, guys. I know that a lot of people in the chat, we were able to get to some of your questions. Certainly want to be able to uh, follow after the show, and... and Richard's always on Twitter. You can definitely reach out to him at Richard underscore Schiff on Twitter, on Instagram, at the Richard Schiff. Uh, I'm, he's very active there. So shoot him your questions if you weren't able to get them into the show. We are live here every single Monday on the Popcorn Talk, which is at the Popcorn Talk on Instagram and on Twitter. And you can follow me at the only MC on Instagram and on Twitter. Two more episodes. That's all we got left in season four here of I Could Never Be. But let this serve as a reminder just to be able to go out, follow your dreams, keep working. The right attitude, the right work ethic, you can achieve anything. We'll see you next time. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.